Welcome to the weekly message from Upper Room Community Church in Vaughan. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and provide practical ways to strengthen your relationships. For more information, visit us at upperroom.ca. Good morning. Let's read the word of the Lord. We're reading from 1 Corinthians 13, 1-7 and Galatians 5, 22-23. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. This is God's word. Morning, church. I was reflecting this week on uh, some narrow brushes with greatness that I have had, okay? So I just want to share those with you. If you've ever done this, it's kind of a fun little exercise. So here's a few of my brushes with greatness. I know Kurt. You know Kurt, one of the worship leaders here? He's a good friend. He played ball against Steph Curry in high school. So that's, that was kind of close to greatness there because I know Kurt. And Kurt faced up Steph Curry a couple of games. Um, I was in an airport lounge next to Getty Lee, Yes, and I spent all the time trying to convince the person I was traveling with for my work who this was. They're like, who's Getty Lee? I'm like, oh my gosh. And then I'm preaching to Tony on Friday. He's like, who's Getty Lee? (laughs) We have work to do in our office, people. Getty Lee, lead singer, Rush. Greatest influential Canadian band all over. Yes, nodding. So I was three chairs away from it. So that was close. And then once I was leaving the airport and I got into the elevator and I looked over and John LeClaire was standing next to me. John LeClaire, like in his prime, played with Eric Lindros, Mark Recchi, Philadelphia Flyers. They had just punted the Leafs from the playoffs the week before and he'd had a great series. And I'm thinking, okay, we got like, I don't know how many floors, maybe three. I think, what do I say? Do I, do I say like, oh, good series? Do I say, I can't believe you beat the Leafs? I don't really care about the Leafs. So I was going to congratulate him. And then I said, hi. And that was about it. And then I got off the elevator. So that was, you know... I can let go of those. I have other, what I would call maybe brushes with greatness. These ones are a little bit closer to home. Maybe you can identify in your own, in your own way. I, uh, I didn't get to play very much on my high school baseball team. And I thought I was better than how much time playing time I was getting. I thought, man, if I'd gotten more playing time, I would have been a better ball player. It still would have ended at some point. But at least for those years, I could have, I could have had more opportunity. Someone had given me the chance. Um, I remember getting to university and realizing I was the stupidest person there. I'm taking classes going, surrounded by all these people, and they had all gone to prep school. And like prep school, they just seemed like they were better athletes, they were smarter, they had read more, and I was like, man, like if I had gone to prep school, like I'd be smart, I wouldn't be the dumbest person in my class. And so I was kind of thinking, oh, I kind of felt like I missed out or something. 
Uh, and then uh, I got a, a, I was in a case competition in my third year at the Boston Consulting Group, downtown Toronto. I thought if I win this case competition, I really wanted to work for them. They were a kind of prestigious consulting firm in Toronto. Didn't win. Thought, ah, oh, that would have gone. And then I got an interview with another company I really liked, and it was a problem-solving interview. A consulting company next year bombed the interview. Didn't get a call back. So there are moments like that. I don't know if you've had them where you're like, man, if, I, if only I'd gotten that or gotten this. And I, it made me think that when it comes to our own greatness, we often think that what is holding us back um, is maybe, maybe a, a lack of education. We're not smart enough. Or, you know, if we had done better with the education that we did get, um, then, then maybe that's what's holding us back. Or um, we see other people who seem to be really great or talented, and we think, man, if I only had that, if I was born with that, or if I had that family background or that pedigree, or if I had that financial um, you know, opportunity, then, then I would be better than where I'm at right now. Sometimes we think what's keeping us from greatness is that other people don't see it in us. Like, like others, others seem to get opportunities that we don't get. We seem to get passed over. We're looked over because of maybe our ethnic background or maybe our, our physical stature or our, our beauty or our lack of beauty or maybe we don't have a certain title in an organization or an environment and so people just tend to look past us and we think, man, if only somebody would see me and give me a chance, like other, those, those other people had chances, then I could be great. And yet, if we think about that, we've, there's, we've all seen people who have done great things, and yet over time, what gets revealed in their lives was that there was actually a lack of greatness in them as people. And, and maybe that comes out in a Hall of Fame speech of an athlete that you thought had accomplished incredible things, and then you listen to the Hall of Fame speech, and you're like, wow, you are really arrogant. Or you have experiences where people that were childhood idols, maybe movie stars, maybe uh, maybe athletes, maybe singers, and then later on in life, they're actually involved in criminal activity. And you realize, wow, there's stuff that was going on that they were exuding that I assumed they were a certain person or they seem to have accomplished a lot of things. And later on, wow, that's not a great life at all. Or maybe there are actually people in your life that were childhood heroes in your family, maybe uncles or aunts or even our parents. And as we grow older and we start to see them more as peers and adults, we think, wow, there's stuff in their lives I actually don't want to idolize. And it diminishes our sense of greatness. And so what we can at least conclude is, well, in my own pursuit of greatness to try to, to be better and look better and get smarter and have more opportunities or whatever, I at least have to acknowledge that doing great things doesn't necessarily by itself amount to greatness. It doesn't make you great. We should actually be cautioned because if we think about it, most of our lives are spent pursuing those things to try to achieve that, however you define it in your life, in my life. And it's interesting, right, because we see this in the church as well. And, and it seems like every other day there's a story somewhere, or maybe in your background, maybe in your church background or religious background or in the papers about someone who seemed to be a very spiritual person and, and doing very good things and what would seem to be holy things. And yet later on we find out there were things going on in their lives or in the background that revealed they were not that way at all. Or maybe at a certain point they just leave the church or leave the faith, realize, well, what, what was that about? Now, these are things aren't only in the church, right? Like we see this in politics, we see this in business, we see this in, um, in the entertainment industry, we see it in the sports world, we see it in your own life and your own family. So it's, the church is not immune is what I'm saying. But certainly in, in, when it comes to faith and you know, this exploration that we're in, we're in a series called Fully Alive. And the premise of the series is that we become fully alive as we discover the gifts that God has given us and the way that he has made us. In this quest to discover who we are, and if you've had any kind of church background with spiritual gifts or whatever, we know that there's, <coughs> excuse me, a lot of emphasis that can be placed on, 
on what, how great people appear to be, how good they are at their gifts or how effective or how powerful of a life they have. And yet there should be a caution in us because wait, what we see around us and what we should know by this point in life is that just doing great and looking great doesn't actually by itself amount to greatness. And it's interesting in the passage that, was, that Steve read for you from 1 Corinthians 13, it's a chapter that's sandwiched in between two chapters that are all about spiritual gifts, that are all about, and, and this idea of spiritual gifts is that the spirit comes into our lives and gives us power to do what we could never do by ourselves, that together we, we have, in a sense, the power of Jesus, the same power that was in Jesus' life is present in the church. So we're talking about very significant things and that each one of us actually has spiritual gifts, every one of us in the church, that, that every one of us is a follower of Christ. And we said, yes, Jesus, you know, it will be my joy to say your will, your way, always, you're my Lord, I belong to you. That then the spirit comes into our lives and gives us this power that comes from him as we are a part of a body. But as we journey into that, and Paul's explaining that right in the middle of those two chapters, 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 14, he says this passage that, you know, we sometimes read at weddings and it's famous, but it's in the context of this whole idea of greatness that he says this, that you can have all of these amazing gifts, you can have gifts that you, where you speak with power and people are moved, or you could have gifts where you have so much faith, you could literally say to a mountain, move, and it'll move, that you have, seem to have power in your life. But if you're missing something, all of that thing is nothing at all. You can be and look and do great things, but if you're missing one thing, you have nothing. And what's that one thing? Without what? Without love, he says it's nothing. In fact, it's worse than nothing. He says you're like a gong or a clanging cymbal. We have no gongs in our worship team. If you're a gong player, I'm sorry, there's just not room for you here because <laughs> no one likes to hear the gong. The gong signifies, boom, you're done, right? The gong show, you're done. He says it's worse than nothing. It's actually a noise. Your gifting, your greatness becomes not great at all and other people are repelled by it or put off by it. Other people would wish it would just go away. It's actually not affecting anything great at all if you don't have love. That it's possible to be missing this one thing. And if you do, have nothing. And he lists in those two passages, all of these descriptions of love. And Catherine, you just throw that image up there. I put them all into an image for you to see. These are all the descriptions of love. All different aspects of what love looks like. In fact, if you, commentators will say often, when there's a list, whatever's first is the most important thing on the list. So it's almost like when, when in 1 Corinthians 13, right? Paul says, love is patient, love is kind, doesn't envy, doesn't boast. In Galatians 5, it says, the fruit of the spirit is love. And then it's almost like colon, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All of these descriptions of what love is. And in a sense, what we could say is being described here is not gifting, but character. Not what is being done, but who someone is. Not great deeds, but the greatness of a life, of a soul, of a heart. And Paul is saying that if you don't have character, these things, your gifting means nothing. And so we could say this together and I'll say it and I want you to say it with me. Gifts without character are no gift at all. Let's say that together. Gifts without character are no gift at all. That's what he's clearly saying. 
If you don't have love, it doesn't matter what else you have. And in fact, whatever else you have is actually a negative thing. It'll come off not the way it needs to be without character, without love. And we can see this, right? Because what is the opposite of love? The opposite of love is not hate. It's pride. The opposite of love is pride. Why? Because love, you read all those descriptions of love. What is love? It is ultimately being other-centered. It is ultimately living one's life for the, for the good of others. Right? True love is not a feeling. It's not what you do for me. True love is a life lived on behalf of others. All of those descriptions, right, are descriptions of others first. If I am patient, it's because whatever I'm going through or whatever inconvenience you are causing me, I am more concerned about what you are going through than what I'm going through right now, and therefore I can be patient with you even if it's interfering with me in my timeline. Right? That love is patience. Kindness. Kindness is a response to weakness. Kindness is a response to offense. Kindness is a response of love to someone who has inconvenienced you or hurt you or maligned you. And if I am ultimately focused on another person, my first thought will be, I wonder what's going on in their lives that caused them to react that way to me. My first thought will not be, how dare you talk to me like that? Right? If I am ultimately other-centered, then I'm loving. And therefore, pride is the opposite of love because pride is what? It's me. It's about me. I cannot be patient with you because my life is more important than yours. So whatever you're going through is not as important as what I'm going through. Therefore, I'm annoyed that you are inconveniencing me. Pride is not gentle. Pride is rushed. Pride is hurried. Pride is gruff when it is offended because how dare you do that to me? See that? The opposite of love is pride. It is a self-obsession. And we can see that how arrogant, some of the things I've described, that, that if we are arrogant, that we cannot love. But as I've said to you before, pride has two opposite but equal sides, right? Pride is not only arrogance, which says I'm good. Pride also is insecurity, which says I'm no good. Do you get it? It's both pride, both ends of pride. Why? Because it's self-obsession. Pride that says, I'm good, thinks about me first. I'm better than you. I compare myself. I can see myself. I rank the world and where I, where I land. It's, it's arrogance. But pride is also insecurity, which says, I'm no good. It's self-obsession. It's constantly comparing ourselves to others and feeling inferior. It's the same thing. It looks like opposite things, but it ultimately is rooted in a self-obsession. And if I'm insecure, I can't love either. Because I can't care for your needs because I'm not even paying attention to your needs because all I'm thinking about is me and what's gone with, wrong with my world and how weak and pitiful I am. Love requires risk to lean out and say, let me help you. But you cannot risk if you're insecure because you're afraid. What if there's nothing left for me or I have nothing to give? They would never want me to help them. They would never want me to call them. See, pride is the opposite of love and it looks like both arrogance, I'm good, and insecurity, I'm no good. And the reason that gifts without character are no gift at all, because without character, you cannot show your gifts, nor can you receive them, right? Because pride, both arrogance and insecurity, will keep you from using your gift, and it'll keep you from receiving the gift. 
I want you to think about, say, say two, two guys that are childhood friends, and, then, and they grow up, and each of them gets married, and they try to stay in touch every so often. And the one <clears throat> friend, you know, and his wife invite the other friend over to their house. Now, this friend happens to have been very successful in their business endeavors, and so they have a huge house and a beautiful pool. And they're also great hosts and great cooks, and they love food, and they travel all over the world. And so as this friend comes into their house, and, you know, all, there's, a, there's a beautiful spread of food out there. The house is magnificent. The pool, the temperature's perfect. The sun's out. Everything is great. And yet, say this one friend who's coming in is insecure. His insecurity all throughout that day is going to sabotage his ability to receive the gift of a beautiful house, a nice meal, and people who are very hospitable. Because every meal, every course that comes out, every time they say, oh yeah, we learned this or I learned this and this or we got this, you know, we bought this house, blah, blah, blah. Every mention of what they have will just make that other person feel insecure about what they don't have. Man, oh, if, I, if, I had had, if I had had the family business, I would have had money too. Or if I had gone to that school, or if I had been able, if I had this, or if I had learned to do this, or you have all this spare time, all oh, the internal dialogue, what's happening? Are they receiving that gift at all? In fact, every bit of it is like a little dagger in their heart. Because they're so insecure, they can't actually receive a gift. Or perhaps, let's say it on the other side. Say the person hosting is proud. Then everything they talk about, every, the way they talk about their house is going to come across as, I'm better than you. Or I, afford, I can afford more than you. Or isn't this beautiful? Isn't this beautiful? And maybe that person's really wanting to receive that gift, but it comes with, these kind of, with this pride and it becomes very hard to receive. And so what that person has in terms of a nice house and a, a gift of hospitality and, you know, a love of food, they're actually not able to give their gift because they're giving it in such a way that it's very hard to receive. You see, so insecurity on the one hand and pride on the other hand can totally sabotage this whole gift giving and receiving thing. And that's why without character, gifts are not gifts at all. Gifts cannot be received. Do you get it? If you are proud and you are in the church and you're trying to figure out this whole spiritual gift thing. You might have a gift, but you might use it in a way that makes others feel bad that they don't have it. If, if I let, as someone who's up here and you give me the privilege of being up here and, and loving you and challenging you and talking to you every week from the scriptures, if I let pride overtake my life, I could get angry you know, how come you don't do this? How come you don't do that? Which would lead to hypocrisy because I'm not doing it either. But pride could totally sabotage my ability to use whatever gift I have as I preach. Because as you receive it, it kind of comes with some thorns and it, it's difficult to hear. It, that, that'll totally sabotage my ability to do that. If, if, you're an, if you're an insecure person, but you may have the gift of encouragement, which means your words have spiritual power to lift people up. But if you're, if you're too insecure to write someone an email that maybe you don't even know that well, like maybe, maybe someone on the worship team, you know, was, and you wanted to send them an email, but you don't, like you don't know them, or someone did something for you in church, or you're new to the church, you think, I, I, don't, I'm, I don't know, I can't send it to him. You won't write that email, or you won't pick up the phone, or you won't say to that person the thing that they need to hear right in that moment when, when they say, you know, can you pray for me? And you know there are words coming up in you to say, but you're too insecure to say them. It'll keep you from using your gift. Insecurity might keep you from receiving the gift of another because their strength in gifting just makes you feel like you don't have anything. And so you don't want to be around people who are strong because it makes you feel weak. And so that will sabotage your ability to receive all that God wants to give you through all these people in the church. 
because you're insecure. Do you get it? It will get in the way of our ability to use our gifts and receive our gifts. Pride, you know, it was A.W. Tozer who said, pride is more at home in a church than in a pub, right? Because church places can breed this sense of ranking in this order. And in fact, the book of Corinthians, part of why Paul was writing to this was to the church was they had totally messed up. They were ranking gifts. They were saying some gifts are more important than others. They were totally missing this idea of the body where all are one in Christ. There's only one Lord, one God, one faith, one baptism. And we are all the body. And so pride will get in the way of that. Pride will have you say, well, that person's, I've been at the church longer than that person. How come they're preaching? Or someone has a prophetic word that a word that they feel like, I think God said this. And you're like, well, I don't even know that person. How long have they been a Christian? I've been here longer. I can't receive from that. Maybe someone's going to pray over you. That's only been a Christian for a month. You say, well, I, how come I'm not praying that way? I'm not like that. Well, maybe they have the gift of intercession or maybe they have the gift of faith. So that they're praying, it's powerful, but your pride will keep you from receiving it. Or your insecurity say, well, what do I know? I just started reading the Bible. I just became, I just got baptized. Insecurity, so I don't have anything to give. No. In Christ, we have been given these gifts, but the character that comes with it is necessary in order to receive these things as gifts. I remember going down to... Um, Tony was just coming on. There was a, a couple of guys from a church down in Orlando that we had met that were offering to kind of mentor us a little bit. And so <coughs> Tony and uh, Steve Beggs and I went down to Orlando. And this guy who's a pastor down there has a gift of leadership. Like he just is, he's anointed. The stuff that he has done in a short time. And I'm sitting there torn because on the one hand, I was like drinking and going, oh, I love this. This is helping me. There were a church around our size. He was my age. And they were just kind of, kind of heading in the same direction that we were as a church. But tearing at me was also this thing of, why am I not as good of a leader as him? Why didn't I think of that? Like, he's younger than me. He's been pastoring shorter than me. The church is younger than me. And it just feels like it's, it's, much, it's way better. He's just doing a way better job. It made me insecure as a leader. And so I'm torn there going, I want to learn. I want to listen. Like, and yet pride or insecurity in both or pride, pride that looked like insecurity in me was like rising up. And you're having to fight it going, no, like, why would I miss out on the chance to learn from another leader? Who cares how old he is? Who cares how long he's been at it? Who cares what's going on at that, at that church? God has given me an opportunity to learn. See, it can get in the way of what God wants to give you or God wants to do through you if the character in your life is not present. It, it's like this, and I want to show you this just so maybe this is a visual that you'll remember. And I'm trying not to make a mess up here, okay? You see what's happening, right? I got water in this cup, okay? And, and let's imagine what's in this cup is the power of the Holy Spirit, okay? The, the water, before it gets poured out, it's pure. It's, it's enough. It's powerful. Like what you get from God is not junk. What God wants to give you in the power of the Holy Spirit is pure. It is equal for wherever he's gonna pour it out. But if, if this is the vessel that you are receiving in, what happens to that? I'm making a mess. What, what happened? Was something wrong with the water? Was it lacking? Wasn't enough for this vessel? No, it just didn't have the character to hold it. What will hold you back, what will hold me back, what will hold our church back is not a lack of power. It's not a lack of gifting. It will be a lack of character. 
that we cannot steward, we cannot hold what God wants to pour into our lives. You get that? What will hold us back is if we create ranking systems in the church. If we think only the pastors or the elders or the leaders in the church have spiritual gifts and the rest of us have the gift of helps that can just help, right? And, and let me just say, if, if we have ever communicated that, I, I repent. Like that is not what I believe. It's not what I ever wanna communicate. There are gifts all over this church Anybody that's in a a title of leadership or role is playing a part, but that is not who they are. And that does not mean all of the power gifts go to the certain people in the church. Every one of us has a part to play. And sometimes it may be a visible role. Sometimes God will call you into it. Sometimes he doesn't, but you're working in the church. And as we understand, wait, God has gifted me for that, to use that, then pride and insecurities, that begins to go away. As by God's spirit, he begins to heal us. And that's why that song, like, you know, I was singing that song, Lay Me Down, going, this is a scary song to sing, right? I lay me down. I'm not my own. I belong to you alone. But you see, those are the songs of humility. Those are the songs that say, God, it's not my will. It's yours. When, when When we truly begin to take that in the center of our being, insecurity, arrogance begins to go away. And, and he makes us more into this. So, so here's what this means. <clears throat> is that we may want to grow in our gifting, okay, but God wants to grow our character. He says, we we may want to be more powerful people, right? but, But God has power for us. He's not lacking in that. But what he wants to do in your life is get rid of the holes. He wants to make you whole. He wants to make you able to receive all that God has for you and this church through you but you got to have the character to receive it, which means there are circumstances in your life which you wish would go away. There are people in your life that you wish would go away. There are people conflicts in your life that you wish would go away. There are things that have happened to you in your past that you're bitter about and you're angry at someone for this and yet you need to realize, wait, whether or not that person should have done what they did to me, whether or not this circumstance should have played out the way it has right now, whether or not my boss or whoever should have treated me differently, I can know this, that God is going to use that to shape my character. That God is trying to use the circumstances, the people, the conflicts, the whatever in my life to make me able to hold what he wants to give me and what he wants to give all of you through me. So that's what he's doing. His, your agenda may be power and greatness and gifting. His agenda is character so that you can hold what he wants to give you. And if he wants to give you all that love stuff, how else are you going to learn to be long-suffering? That's kind of what, that's what forbearance means. Except if you have to suffer long with someone, along, alongside someone. How else are you going to become a patient person except that God brings circumstances, situations, and people into your life that will test your patience? that will reveal that you are more about you than you are about them. And that's true about all of us, right? How else are we going to realize, wait a second, the problem in this relationship is me because I am about me and not about them. And that's what's breaking this down. 
So as God allows those things, we need to get, kind of go, wait a second. If, if, if I need character to steward what you're giving me, I need to stop looking at this relationship or this situation like that. I need to go over here and say, God, <clears throat> how can you use this to make me more loving? The word character, it, it actually in the Greek it, uh, is a, a stamping tool or an etching tool. It actually, it's, it's where we get the idea of marks or reputation. It's, it's your carvings. It's in a sense, it's like the etchings of who you are. And so that sounds beautiful, but it's very painful. That God is etching into your face the face of love. It's actually the face of Jesus, right? Because what made Jesus powerful was not so much his gifting from the Holy Spirit, but the character to handle it, the humility was confident when he needed to be, bold when he needed to be, not insecure. He's not a, a wallflower or a doormat. And yet when people wanted him to seize prominence and power, he stood back and said, that's not why I'm here. I don't lead like that. It was the character of Jesus that God is making you more. It's the greatest promise ever in scripture is that he is making you more and more like Jesus. It is the etchings, the face of love, the face of Christ that God is wanting to mark into you that will mark your life. Not, not arrogance, not insecurity, but the face of love. That is his agenda in your life. As you begin to see that, oh, life starts to make a little more sense, right? Well, that's why this thing is persisting. Whatever other reasons it came about, God, you can use this to make me more like you. To be fully alive, friends, is to have the face of love in our life. To become more and more like Jesus. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to stand up. <clears throat> Just indulge me here, okay? Now, <clears throat> some of you, I need to be honest, okay? You need to dance a little more during worship, okay? <laughs> some of you got this. Some of you are like, are like this. You know, it's hard to, you know. So, so here's what I want you to do, okay? And it may be, you know, like Kevin James, right? This is where you live. That, that just may be you. That's cool, right? But I want you to clap along with me, Okay? Okay, and here's what you're going to remember, okay? I'm going to sing it for you so you don't remember, and then you're going to sing it with me. What's love got to do with this? Got to do with this. Go. What's love got to do with this? Got to do... One more time. What's love got to do with this? Got to... You can move. What's love got to do with this? Got to... Okay, you can sit down. <clears throat> you're going to remember that, right? Yes. See, we all have the gift of dancing just now. We just had it. We just did it. This is what I want you to sing. What's love got to do with this? Right? If, if I'm thinking about how do I use my gifts, what's love got to do with how I use my gifts? Because that's what I'm, that's what I'm doing. That's what, that's what God has given me the gifts for is to love. So how am I showing love in what I'm doing? What's love got to do with the way I'm serving in this church? What's love got to do with the way I'm pursuing becoming more of who God has made me to be? For what? It's for love. And then maybe as difficulty and circumstances and people are coming to your life, you need to ask, what's love got to do with this? If God is using character to make me more loving and using these situations to etch the loving character of Jesus into my face. What's love got to do with this? What's love got to do with what's going on right now in my life? I'm telling you, I started to pray it this week. It's a powerful prayer. Jesus, show me what love has to do with this. 
Because if I don't have love, I have nothing. Nothing else matters. Do you believe it? I was praying this morning and, and this week, you know, that God would do a breakthrough in our church, that where there's arrogance, that God would just kind of smash that down. Where there's insecurity, that God would just would build us up. And we all have both sides of this, right? Depending where we are and who we're with. We can move from arrogance to insecurity like that because we are frail creatures. And so God needs to do this work in our lives to etch the face of love into us. Do you know the world has seen so many false faces of Jesus? It's seen false faces. It's seen an angry face. Maybe because of what gets communicated about religion or maybe because of the home that you grew up in. Maybe the church that you grew up in or the way they seem to be able to find the most wackadoo Christians to get quotes from in the you know, the church down in Westboro Baptist seems to represent every church. And so that's what people see the face of Jesus in. Or, or, or perhaps people see a face that is apathetic because the Jesus people have been apathetic to the concerns and the cares of the world around them. But the face of Jesus is the face of love. It is the markings of all of this Jesus character. And so I get so excited to think, oh God, like shape us etch into us the face of love because the world needs to see a different face than what it's seen of you. It needs to see the true face of Jesus. And in God's mysterious, wonderful plan, he has chosen to reveal the face of Christ through the body of Christ. And so this is, this is our calling, is to have that etched into us. So I've asked Tony if he'd just come up and just pray for us. I don't know about you, but I need prayer for this. I need prayer that, that God would do this in me, and then the worship team is going to lead us in response. Usually at this point in the service, I, uh, I give you a blessing, but this morning, I, I want to declare something. I felt like that was kind of what was in my heart as we were listening. In Psalm 29, it says that the voice of the Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. I always read that verse thinking, like, it's kind of scary that God breaks stuff, you know? But, it, but at times like this, it's so... We need to know that he can break stuff in us that seems like a wall that seems impenetrable. And my, my declaration is that this morning that the wall of pride in your life and my life and that wherever it exists in our church is broken down by the God who can break even the strongest things. So anything that was fueled by, by arrogance or insecurity, anything that was held back by arrogance or insecurity, in the name of Jesus, we just declare that that is broken. And that we want more of your spirit in this church and in our lives, God. Would you receive that from him? Amen.